touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland and this week we have uh, a, a guest host, Ben Bolin of Car Stuff and Stuff They Don't Want You to Know and Brain Stuff and other stuff. Lauren is out this week, so Ben has kindly offered to step in. So thank you very much, Ben. Oh, thank you. This is uh, this is fantastic. Uh, big fan. Uh, the last time I was here, I used a, a joke, longtime fan, first time co-host. And, yeah, so uh, we can't use that one again. Yeah, but I'm doing that thing where you just say it <laughs> anyway. Right, right. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for having me on the show, especially because this is a topic that you hipped me to. And I think, um, I, I think that this presents a fantastic cautionary tale. Yes. And a fantastic, almost forensic experience on our part. Yeah. Yeah. What Ben is referring to is the topic Better Place, a company that, uh, this was actually a request that a listener sent in. The listener, Russell, via email, wrote in and said, it would be great if you could do a podcast on a Better Place electric car project. Following up on your Tesla podcast, it would be interesting to show the other approaches that are being tried around the world. And uh, before we get into this, I really want to give a shout out to Max Chafkin, who wrote an article for Fast Company. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal mm-hmm. piece that really details the entire uh, life cycle of Better Place, which t- it was not long. So first of all, spoiler alert, folks, Better, pl- <laughs> better, place, better place has gone to a better place. Yeah, it's gone somewhere for sure. Yeah. And uh, it's it, it's strange because I think that's such a fantastic name for a company. Yes. That it made me so sad. Particularly considering what the whole thrust of this company was, as as uh, Russell has already mentioned, mm-hmm. it has to do with electric vehicles. And uh, the article at Fast Company, by the way, if you ever want to look it up, is called A Broken Place, The Spectacular Failure of the Startup That Was Going to Change the World. And really, that is a pretty accurate assessment of what went on. It's... um. You know, it's unfortunate because, again, the 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 premise, the whole purpose of this company was a noble one, right? It was mm-hmm. The idea of creating an infrastructure for electric vehicles. Because one of the things we talk about, and, and Ben, you've talked about this a lot on car stuff, mm-hmm. is how going to an alternative fuel source is a huge, huge endeavor. Yeah, because there's already such a massive conglomeration of sunk cost in our current fuel sources you know the the idea of uh rebuilding essentially an yeah. interstate system and 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 uh rebuilding every single gas station that we have and just think about how many gas stations you see in 24 hours and right. having having to make just even just one gas station every 50 miles into an electric one is a Herculean endeavor. And I just want to put in, um, put in one seed here. The reason, you know, you've heard this story about why they named this company a better place, right? It's, uh, yeah, it's apparently, it's based on, um, the, the founder, Shai Agassi, uh, he had, uh, a visit to the World Economic Forum in yes. Switzerland. You yes. remember this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he went to that that forum, uh, which was a had a whole bunch of young entrepreneurs, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he started getting interested in this idea of alternative fuel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, he there was a question asked by a guy named Klaus Schwab there, who said, "How do you make the world a better place by 2020?" And uh, this guy, who would go on to found 
better place yep. decided that I, you know, this would be my inspiration, right? And, right. And, uh, that led up to the origin of this, uh, of the origin of this company in 2007. They publicly launched. Yeah. It. Yeah, oh, and I'm sorry. I guess I'm I'm jumping over because we should talk about their grandiose plan, right? Well, sure. But back in 2005 <laughs> was when he went to this meeting, mm-hmm. and uh, you know his his idea of a better place was to get the world off of oil dependency. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing we have to point out is Shai Agassi came from Israel, mm-hmm. and uh, and obviously, if you want to, you, know, you have to look at politics as part of this. It's not and economics. It's not just. The idea of a green movement, right? Which was already becoming a huge thing in the mid 2000s. Right. The green technology was one of those kind of rising star industries. That idea that, oh, we should really invest in this because it's the next big thing. You, you, anyone who was paying attention to tech in the mid 2000s, mid to late 2000s, you know, that was like a buzzword of buzzwords, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of faded since then. Not that people are less interested in developing green technology, it's just no longer this, like for a while it was a bandwagon thing. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect way to say it because for, for a number of years, for a period of time, this would be something where every company, every tech company, especially yeah. had some sort of green initiative. Right. It was, you were just supposed to have one, you know? Yeah. And so Shai Agassi was really kind of jumping on this, this momentum. Uh, and, he he well we'll be talking a lot about him in this podcast and about mm-hmm. how he he kind of had these grandiose ideas like you said this grandiose plan this enormous uh kind of uh showman sort of mm-hmm. persona mm-hmm. very PT Barnum very Elon Musk in many ways we'll be we'll be uh, kind of comparing him and contrasting him with Elon Musk as well cuz there's another guy who very similar in that he went with electric vehicles mm-hmm. as his as one of his big uh, initiatives and is definitely a, a market marketing genius, uh, very type A personality, yeah. very charismatic, but also can rub people the wrong way. You know, he's he's got a very specific vision. And if you don't fall in line with it, there can be lots of friction. Well, so is Shai Agassi, but Agassi perhaps had a uh, less um strategic approach sure a little less methodical yeah so that grandiose plan was to be able to come up with a a a system an infrastructure that would support a fleet of electric vehicles where in ideal situations you could get an entire country in this case israel really Mm -hmm. to switch from gasoline powered vehicles to electric vehicles uh and i mean it was he he was starting to make promises before there was any kind of idea of a company, let alone uh, a business plan. Like there there right. wasn't even there wasn't even a, a thing to have a business plan yet, and he was already starting to make these sort of big promises. Mm-hmm. Um, he and another guy uh, started to think up, uh, you know, what how could we how can we create a, a proposal for this? Mm-hmm. And that other guy would be. Um, Andre Zarur, who was CEO of a company called Bioprocessors, and they wrote a white paper called Transforming Global Transportation, which became kind of a rock star white paper at various conferences around the world. Right. Like, have, of course, you've read Transforming Global Transportation, haven't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course I have. And even people who used to work for Better Place 
are still like, uh, even after all the, the crazy kind of roller coaster events that they've gone through. And even, uh, even after the ones who will say like, you know, Agassi kind of went off the reservation, mm-hmm. uh, they will still cite this paper as being an inspirational paper. So it's not that necessarily the ideas were, were bad. It's just a question of whether or not they were actionable in the way that that Better Place went about it. Right. The application of of these uh, ideas. And, you know, I'm I'm just going to get on one little soapbox here, Jonathan. Sure. It's true that the state of global transportation and the state of global energy supply is ultimately the way it's going now. It's unsustainable. I mean, sure. It's it's not going to be a perpetual motion machine. And it's it can be often politically charged for people to say that, but especially as you and I were talking about off air earlier, especially in the case of Israel. Yes. Uh, as, is, yeah. Neighbor, neighbor to many uh, nations with which it has at best and uh, a sense of animosity, right? <laughs> yeah, right. There, there's certainly huge amounts of conflict uh, mm. between Israel and a lot of oil producing nations. So Israel has some very politically motivated reasons to get off of the dependency on oil. The United States is not that much different in many ways. Uh, If you look back to the proposals under the the Bush administration about moving to a hydrogen-based economy, Mm -hmm. one of the big incentives was for for this this national security reason, to get Mm -hmm. off of the dependency for oil. And so it's not just this environmental approach, although that's largely the way Better Place was positioned, because it's, right. it's a, a feel-good way of saying, hey, this is an important technology to invest in. But from an, uh, you know, just a national security standpoint, it also had real importance. So this is something we have to address, because otherwise no one would have sunk money into this, this venture. And as it turns out, people sunk a lot of money into it. Ooh, yeah. Uh, let's see. So the first, uh, the, the, the first round. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, it was first they got a hundred million from one investor alone, just a hundred yeah. million mm-hmm. plus 30 million of his own particular, his, his own fund. So a hundred million from his company mm-hmm. and 30 million more from him. And then ultimately they raised another 200 million. So. I think you, you know, some reports say 200, 250 million. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you're looking around 300 million in that initial, uh, funding round. And that is a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, it's a lot of scratch. Don't know if you realize this. <laughs> yeah. So, so one of the reasons we can talk about, uh, this being a great case study is that if you look at the dot com era, the dot com bubble burst, mm-hmm. one of the things that, that people bring up over and over is how these companies, that didn't have any sort of way of generating revenue. They had no product yet. Right. We're getting crazy amounts of venture capital early, early, early in their phase, mm-hmm. uh, in their life cycle. And it meant that you had people with tons of capital to burn through and no real incentive to rein all that in and take a very methodical and, and conservative approach to building a business plan. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because in – in, when you first brought up this idea, this this seems like such a fantastic comparison. Now, of course, it's not exactly apples to apples, but sure. but with so much money to to have all of this cash and none of the f- 
focus required or right. the strategy. Right. If you had a smaller investment, then you would be forced to mm-hmm. focus on how do you how do you bring about this idea of creating an, a an infrastructure that will support electric vehicles throughout an entire nation. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a limited budget, then you have to say, all right, we can't do everything. So let's focus on what we can do and prioritize what we can do. And that way we can really focus, be really, really careful, and uh, we can build incrementally. When you get this huge investment, then you think, hey, we can do everything. So mm-hmm. let's let's do, you know, let's have, first of all, let's have crazy amenities. Uh, you know, let's let's do that startup thing where you have the uh, the headquarter office that has all the bells and whistles. Vintage and, pinball machines. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. The, the infinity swimming pool that's <laughs> in the executive lounge, that kind of thing. Sure. Musical guests. Yes. You know. uh, who knows? Uh, it, we do. We will talk more about that a little bit later, too. <laughs> Not the musical guest part, but some right. of the crazy amenities. And it, it just meant that you lacked that focus. Mm-hmm. And that was probably one of the many reasons, because this this is a complex issue. It's not like you can point at one thing and say, this is the reason this ultimately failed. That's yeah, that's uh, that's an excellent point, too, because one of the one of the valuable things that a, um, a, a dissection of this situation does is it helps give us a behind the curtain look at why so many similar companies fail or succeed. Right. And and when we look at when, when we look at a lot of these companies, here's the thing that gets me. Um, one thing a lot of companies have in common with this, whether it's auto or just pure tech, is that there is very easily a cult of personality that forms. Yes. Yes, as I mean, we see that in over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it depends on the personality how that cult ends up kind of being uh, projected, like how yeah. how the fans fall in line. Because you could say that about Bill Gates, Absolutely. you could certainly say that about Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. Elon Musk, very very similar. So you can see this over and over. Not every company has like the figurehead that people identify around. Sometimes it's more around a brand and not a person. Sure. But you still get this kind of cult of personality. It's just dependent on whether or not it it, it forms around an individual or around uh, just a brand identity. Mm-hmm. Now, we haven't really talked about what they had planned on doing, and that's largely because they didn't have a really firm um, plan in place uh, until after the company itself had formed. Now, the company formed in 2007. Yep. And generally speaking, the plan was to seek out – uh, government subsidies and tax incentives to try and develop a positive environment for electric vehicles. And that Better Place would partner with car manufacturers mm-hmm. to develop cars that would be electric, that would have specific types of battery packs that would be compatible with what Better Place would provide, which would be charging stations and battery swapping stations. Mm-hmm. So the idea would be if you bought a car that was compatible with Better Place's stations, you would be able to uh, recharge there and get your battery swapped out for a subscription fee. Ah, This this to me was fascinating, this idea that, that Agassi had of how about we create uh, a company that's similar to cell phones? Yeah, you buy a you buy a package and a service, right? Yeah, you get a subsidized car that mm-hmm. would be like a subsidized cell phone. This would be uh, like the way cell phone plans traditionally have been in the United States. It's not like that all around the world. No, you know, there's some places in the world where you buy the unsubsidized phone full price, but then your monthly 
uh, service services are less than what you would get in the U.S. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., you buy a subsidized phone, but then you're under contract for, you know, two usually years. two years is typical. And you get, uh, you know, you're paying for that really in those those fees month to month as opposed to buying it all up front. Well, he was talking about doing a similar thing with cars where your purchase price for a car would be lower. He was saying at the time, Agassi, mm-hmm. that the electric vehicles would be about half of what you would get for a, a, a comparable gasoline-powered car, which had other experts in the field scratching their heads and say, say what? Mm-hmm. How are you making this promise? How can you promise to produce an electric vehicle for that low? Because we're building electric vehicles and it is expensive. Yeah, even if you build them like gangbusters, that's the thing. That's something that even Elon Musk has not reached yet. The right. economy of scale. Right. Yeah. He His first approach was to go with, let's build the sexiest mm-hmm. electric vehicle we can, which was the Tesla Roadster. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, there were people who were like, man, that thing just looks like it. It looks like it's fast when it's standing still. Yeah. Let's have celebrities drive it. Yeah. Let's have let's have people. Let's influence the influencers. Right. So we're getting people who are not just celebrities, but also business leaders, mm-hmm. particularly since they were catering mainly to San Francisco. Yeah. They were getting all the other tech company leaders, you know, like sure. Google, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. getting really interested in these vehicles. And then they said, what we'll do is we'll continue to court the high end market at first. We'll use that money to build out an infrastructure, supercharging stations, things like that. Mm-hmm. That's what you're starting to see now with the supercharging stations being built across the United States, even in states where it is not currently legal to buy a Tesla. Tesla vehicle. You have to leave the state to buy it. It's not mm-hmm. that it's illegal to drive it. It's perfectly legal to drive the vehicles. Mm-hmm. But because of, uh, you know, that's an entirely different episode, but yeah. because of, of issues with car dealerships, because right. you know, Tesla, they sell the cars direct, right? Direct mm-hmm. to the customer. Unlike all other auto manufacturers that go through dealerships. Right. The big three uh, give uh, wholesale to a dealership who then sells to the end user. Right. Uh, with with Tesla, you're right. That is a that is a different bag of badgers or a yes. box of circuits. But um, but it is really important to say, because I, I think that's a, a brilliant comparison when we look at this. If we compare Better Place and Tesla, yep. one of the big, big differences, right? Maybe yep. I would submit to you the the biggest difference is that tesla said one car make it awesome top of the market and then baby steps yes and and better place their approach was let's try and aim for the the moderate car the basic car market Mm -hmm. trying to hit at your average consumer Mm -hmm. right go for that person and then you will end up uh, just just hitting that across the entire market, which in this case really was Israel, like we were saying before. Right. Although there were plans, grandiose plans again, <laughs> to, right. to immediately expand in other markets like Denmark and Australia. Those were the three original ones, Israel, Denmark, Australia. Mm-hmm. And with more plans of expanding into the United States and other countries as well. Now, uh, you, you also had, uh, you had also mentioned before, this is good because when we talk about the cult of personality. Yeah. In the beginning, people were really on board with Better Place. And he even um, he, he even made an appearance at a TED conference. Yeah. Right? In 2009, he took the stage at a TED conference. He laid out his plan of selling millions of electronic vehicles in Israel. Uh, he supported it with this idea of the infrastructure they wanted to make, mm-hmm. the, the charging stations and the battery swapping stations. 
And, you know, it was a compelling argument. The idea of, look, we're not saying build an electric vehicle with no support. We're saying let's partner with electric vehicles, like some manufacturers, mm-hmm. uh, and partner with them to produce vehicles. We'll also produce the infrastructure by building out these charging stations and battery swapping stations. Right. And then there'll be no excuse to not swap over. You just tell the customer, hey, look, it's a cheap vehicle because yeah. we're subsidizing it. It's lower than your car note if you bought a gas vehicle. Yeah, you don't have to. Uh, you'll have a subscription where mm-hmm. you'll end up paying a certain amount per month. But look, it's going to be lower than your gas bill would be, like to to pay for the fuel to fuel your car. Uh, let's remember that detail, too. right? And, <laughs> and and you'll even be able to charge it at home. I mean, think about some of the promises were crazy. Like you could have a basic charging cable installed in your house for free, or you could pay five hundred bucks and get a robot automated charging station. You pull. Imagine pulling into your garage. And a robotic arm, Jetson style, <laughs> plugs into your vehicle without you having to do anything else. And right. that's just 500 bucks, a $500 installation fee to have a fully automated robot arm <laughs> doing this perfectly. And this had people excited at TED. I mean, they got like one of the crazy, super long standing ovation right, responses. Right, yeah. Whereas you had probably a few people in that audience, I would imagine, a few people who might have had, I don't know, some experience with robotics, let's yeah, say. Yeah, perhaps maybe experts. Yeah, people who perhaps worked in the auto industry. Yeah. Those folks were probably still sitting in their chairs thinking, hang on, <laughs> how can you promise this this free cable installation when something like that has real cost? I mean, that's incredibly expensive to put in by itself, mm-hmm. let alone a robotic one that is fully automated. And, mm-hmm. you know, you that's so much research and development to test a system like that, to build a system, test it, make sure that it works properly. You don't want to have, you know, a robot arm that's just blindly trying to plug in a cable and scratching up your vehicle. Right. Don't, right? It's trying to charge your cat. Who yes, knows? exactly. <laughs> right. You know, next thing you know, Fluffy's got a couple hundred <laughs> volts running through her. That's not that's not good business, yeah. right? Well, yeah, absolutely. And and even if we look at it from the angle of the proprietary nature, which is another sticky thing yeah. in these kind of private public partnerships. Right. You, the idea of, sure, you can buy this vehicle from this manufacturer mm-hmm. and you can charge it at these stations. But if you buy an electric vehicle from any other manufacturer, right. it's not compatible with these charging stations. Yeah. So, see, that's the, all right, Ben, let yes. me ask you this. Let's say that you, as a consumer, go to an auto dealership and you're looking at a line of, let's say it's a used car dealership even. Sounds because, like my style. Because now you're talking about all sorts of different uh, auto manufacturers being represented on this one lot, hmm. right? Because otherwise, if you go to a dealership, you're looking at like a, you know, let's say it's a Toyota dealership. They're all Toyota vehicles. I see what you're saying. But if you go to a used car dealership, you might see Toyotas. You might see, you know, mm-hmm. cars from General Motors. You might see cars from... Uh, Ford, you might, you know, all sure. of those could be represented in a big used car lot. If you buy a gas powered vehicle and then you need to refuel your vehicle, um, do you have to worry about what kind of fueling station you pull into in general in no. the United States? No, because any fueling station you go to is going to have fuel pumps that fit all cars because that's standardized, right? <laughs> right. We have a law about that. Yeah. So you don't have to worry, like, if you bought a car from Toyota or you bought a car from Ford, sure. or you bought a car from anywhere else that was a gasoline-powered vehicle, mm. then any gas station you pull into, you can be confident the gas pumps are compatible with your car. Mm. 
But now let's say you bought an electric vehicle. <laughs> let's <laughs> right. say it's a Tesla, for example. And let's say that there are other cars, like Better Place. Let's say that Better Place also had cars out on the market. Now you've got a vehicle that has a proprietary port mm-hmm. that you have to plug into, which means that only certain types of plugs are going to fit your vehicle and others will not. Now you have to worry about where you can go to recharge your vehicle. Now, most of these electric vehicles are going to have some sort of, of plug-in to it so that you can go into a an electric vehicle charging station and have sure. some kind of standardized approach. Yeah. But if you want a supercharger, like the Tesla supercharge approach, that's proprietary. Right. And that's also the one that will give you a, a half charge of your vehicle in 20 minutes. Which is still crazy science fiction stuff to me, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and although it's crazy science fiction stuff, if you're a motorist mm-hmm. and you are on your way from point A to point B, the thought of spending 20 minutes to get a half charge on your vehicle yeah, is probably still. probably something you're not crazy about. Forget the fact that you're probably going to go way further than you necessarily need to on a half charge, mm-hmm. right? Your your driving range th- these days is pretty decent, right? Um, from just a a an idea of I have to stop and refuel my vehicle. That's not a very attractive proposition. Right. Yeah. One of the, uh, one of the great buzzwords for that is range anxiety. Yes. <laughs> Which was one of the things that Better Place was trying to address, right? Right. Yeah. They were saying that by building out this infrastructure throughout an entire country, and to allow the battery swapping, mm-hmm. which was a big one. I mean, Tesla is also looking into that as well. That's huge, yeah. Uh, it means that you would take away this range anxiety, right? Because you mm-hmm. could just pull into one of these stations, and because you have put them throughout the entire country, you could swap it out. However, again, if you wanted to ever have, as a consumer, the freedom of choice to buy a different electric vehicle, you can't avail yourself to those kind of stations because they're not compatible. Nope. You you have to hope somebody makes an adapter at best. Right. <laughs> or that they build out comparable stations so that you end up having these side by side. Like I can imagine a refueling station where, all right, here's where Tesla drivers have to pull in. Oh, yeah. Here's where better place drivers would have had to have pulled in had mm-hmm. that actually continued to work. Here's here's another thing. Now, this is a bit of a tangent, so so forgive me on this. Sure. But can you imagine how how angry you would be if you did something that was like the equivalent of jailbreaking your uh your better place vehicle um yeah. and then it got bricked can yeah. you imagine bricking a car right to the point where you can no longer charge it and yeah that would be and, and if we're talking about a a model that's similar to cell phones yeah. this is not something that's outside the realm of possibility no this is disturbingly possible yeah. um or it, or it was now we, one thing i want to go back to you said earlier um you made the great point that is another thing different to the tesla model which is the better place wanted a network of cars that people could choose from, sort of like how if you want an iPhone with Apple, uh, then all you do, all you can do is buy some kind of iPhone. But what they wanted to do is be more of an Android yeah. to Tesla's Apple, right? You right. could buy any one of a number of cars. However... It didn't work out that way, did it? No, sir. There was only one manufacturer that Better Place was able to work with in the history of Better Place being around. Uh, Better Place was around from 2007 to 2013. Mm-hmm. And the only manufacturer, and, uh, Ed Ben, please correct me if you know the pronunciation and I screw it up, Renault? 
Uh, Renault. 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 Very, See, yeah. I being first of all being American, I'm ignorant. Second of all, being a non-driver, I'm also doubly <laughs> ignorant. So Renault. Renault, which I should have guessed based upon the spelling. Uh, Renault was the only manufacturer with which Better Place was able to form a relationship mm-hmm. in its brief existence. And there was really only one vehicle that was produced. Yep, the Fluence ZE. Uh, and this was a new vehicle, too, because it um, Better Place predates the Renault, uh, this Fluence, at least. Uh, that came out in 2009. And... It's not a bad car, man. It's got a uh, it's got a 22 kilowatt lithium ion battery. It um its range uh is 115 miles for you and I or for the rest of the world, 185 kilometers. That's fair. <laughs> and uh this you know, this seems like a pretty good car to use. Um it's still you know, it's still around. You can you can still buy them. They're still being made in uh, South Korea. And the ones I think made in Israel were or the ones used in Israel, rather, were made in Turkey. Mm-hmm. So so it's it's a legit vehicle. Yeah. The only issue here is that now Better Place no longer has those battery swapping stations. They still have some right. charging stations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about that when we get toward the end of the podcast. But uh, the you know, it was it was one of those things where. If, if it had worked, you would have had a battery swapping station be able to swap out in five minutes. And if you had a subscription mm-hmm. where you're not paying on that per swap, there's no incentive for you to not swap out the battery, right? If it's covered under your subscription that, yeah. that you're, that, that comes along with buying one of these vehicles, then you drive in, you have your battery swapped out, takes maybe five minutes, but that's about the same amount of time you'd spend at a typical fueling station. Ah, yes, which goes exactly to, um, it goes exactly to the fantastic point you made there about the, the difference with, you know, no matter how amazing from a technical standpoint it is to charge a battery in, uh, half charge a battery in 20 minutes. Yeah. It's still, it's still a huge downer when you think, man, if I just had a internal combustion engine, I could be on my way already. Exactly. Right. And keep in mind, you know, this is also trying to, be a very special case, right? Because as as studies have shown, your typical driver, at least in the United States, drives at most around 48 miles in a day. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Well, if your driving range is 115 miles, then you you have got that more than covered, which means that all you have to do is just remember to plug your car in at the end of the day and it'll be fully ready for the next day. You don't have to worry about that range anxiety really kicking in because you've got more than enough capacity. It's when you're doing something special, like a long range trip. Mm-hmm. Let's say that we're, we're decided we, we're going to go to Disneyland. We're doing a cross country drive to go to, uh, uh, Anaheim, California. You and I always talk about that. I mean, I, in my head, you know, it was cause you know, fall is coming around and fall. That's when they do the haunted mansion overlay with nightmare before Christmas, which of course you and I both would really love to go on. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, and we got to go together cause that's spooky, man. You don't want to go by yourself. <laughs> um, but yeah, if we wanted to do a cross-country trip, then clearly we would need that infrastructure there in order for us, because we're going to go so far in a day that mm-hmm. you could conceivably go beyond that driving range, easily conceivably, easily. 115 miles, certainly, because, uh, you know, it's not like we're going to drive 100 miles and then spend the night and then another 100 miles. That's going to take <laughs> us forever to get out there. Right. Yeah. That's, so, that's a really good point. So this this idea works. Um, you know, it it works in theory. Yeah. And what I got to ask you, man, what happened? What went wrong? 
Yeah, you know, what happened, it's actually a laundry list of problems. Sorry, ultimately, we're getting to May 2013 when the company had declared bankruptcy and ended up being sold for a pittance. So it raised about a billion dollars, a little less, more like, you know, somewhere between 900 million and a billion, but mm-hmm. who counts between friends, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it was... It was auctioned off at such a fraction of that. If you add up everything, including the assets of the company and its intellectual property, it's about $12 million. That's, that's a huge, huge insult there in a way. I mean, not even insulting. It was just sad, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a fire sale because the first question you have to ask is what happened to all of this money? It didn't evaporate, surely. Yeah. The, the thing that happened was that costs were, uh, were greatly beyond what was anticipated. And the build times were greatly beyond what was anticipated. So costs ended up spiraling out of control. And they just weren't good at, at they weren't very good ministers of the money, the capital mm-hmm. that they had. So first of all, let's, let's talk about some of the stuff. The building out that infrastructure, incredibly expensive. Uh, they had guessed that a typical charging station would cost about $500,000. Later on, it would turn out to be closer to $2 million. So their plans to completely outfit Israel with these charging stations, originally they were looking at a $20 million uh, cost mm-hmm. to completely do the country. Once they realized that they were, you know, they, they were one quarter lower than what, or it, rather it was going to cost four times as much per station. Right. You know, that's an $80 million uh, price tag just for those charging stations alone. And, you know, then the, the delays in building that ends up adding up more costs. So that was huge, right? Yeah. Secondly, uh, the partnership between Better Place and other companies only ever resulted in that one vehicle, right? The mm-hmm. Renault, mm-hmm. the Renault sedan. So if you didn't like that car, there was no incentive for you to go and buy one. Yeah. Right. You know, there was no other choice. So you had this or any other like gasoline powered vehicle. Which is completely, to go back to our earlier comparison, completely like saying, oh, I want an Android phone. And uh, Google and this one manufacturer saying uh, something very much like the old Henry Ford quote. You can have any color yeah. Model T you want so long as it's black. Right, right exactly. <laughs> uh, based upon the different reports we've read, essentially somewhere between 1,400 and 1,500 of those cars were sold total. Yeah. Period. So. You can't support a company that has been going through a billion dollars in capital by selling 1,400 cars. The math just doesn't really add up there. Uh, third, that initial heavy funding, like we said, could have been the company's undoing. Mm-hmm. The fact that they had so much money to play with early on meant that they did not really focus and create a very conservative plan. And they ended up doing lots of crazy stuff, including like luxurious office spaces. They had a visitor center. That was meant to be uh, kind of an immersive experience to explain to you the wonders of the electric vehicle and the better place infrastructure, right? Right. It was kind of Epcot-y, wasn't it? Yeah. You read about it. Like, it made me think kind of of the uh, the World's Fair type thing seen in Iron Man, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those movies where you had this, this crazy kind of high-tech immersive experience that was well beyond what you needed. Like, the uh, Fast Company article described it as... Being a, there was a holographic theater where a holographic version of Agassiz yeah. would would tell you about Better Place, and that the theater had uh, the the theater seats weren't 
just seats. They were vintage car seats that were all arranged in a certain way. Yeah. Um, and that there was like a, a mile long track where you could do a test drive of an electric vehicle. And it was just one of those things where you could see how much money was being sunk into selling the idea and not so much in making the idea become reality. Ah, uh, making the uh, T-shirts before you get the band together to rehearse. Yes. <laughs> This is making me think of someone we both know, actually. But no, it's, uh, yeah, it's that, that whole, uh, whole idea where you're selling the idea. You're so in love with the idea and you're so convinced the idea is a good idea. Right. That you, you're spending all your time convincing everyone else that it's a great idea and not spending the time actually making the idea happen. We, we actually mentioned this also off the air. Uh, creative folks know this. You don't talk about your book before you write your book. Mm-hmm. You know, don't talk about your screenplay before you're finished writing your screenplay. You are setting yourself up for failure when you start talking about a project before you've actually finished a project. I I have experienced this personally. I have been guilty of doing this. I think every everybody has, but luckily for uh both you and I, uh when we did when we've done stuff like this in our past, yeah. uh, we weren't losing almost a billion dollars. No, no, no. We, and, and most we lost maybe something that would have entertained, I don't know, 50 people at most. Yeah. And, uh, and a, <laughs> a little bit of self-respect. I'm going to be candid. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, there's only so much more of that I can lose before I'm, I'm just tapped out. But, but anyway, even this wasn't the, these three reasons were not the only reasons. No, uh, you need to look at, some pretty nasty uh, other reasons, too. I mean, OK, so we've got a incredibly complex organization, right? They had yeah. offices in Israel mm-hmm. for a while. Their headquarters was in Palo Alto, California. Mm-hmm. That's where uh, Agassi was living, was in Palo Alto. Uh, he at one point decided to take a vacation, took a long vacation, like half a year vacation, Whoa. Uh, went to Israel, uh, met a woman, decided to essentially separate from his wife and start dating this woman. Uh, and decided to relocate to Israel. Mm-hmm. And so now he had changed the global headquarters to Israel, not to Palo Alto, which ruffled a lot of feathers in the company. But the company also got so complex that they had to hire an outside management firm to come in and try and make sense of everything. It just yeah. it ballooned so quickly. And I guess he also uh, there was some nepotism going on. He hired a lot of his own family to be in very important positions, none of which, by the way, none of the people in his executive team had any experience in the auto industry. Right. Or in green technology, yeah. which is another very important part. Two big strikes, right? They yeah. did, as far as I know, none of the, the top executives were, were civil engineers either. So you're trying to build out an infrastructure for an electric vehicle, which is a green technology, and you don't have experts in any of those areas occupying the top positions in the in the company. Now, on top of that, uh, mm-hmm. there are also lots of reports. The Fast Company piece particularly spelled this out, that Agassi has, um, he's he's not necessarily a humble individual. Ah, uh, yes. He's, he's quite the self-promoter. Mm-hmm. And uh, even going back to that, those early days with the white paper, he started to liken the work that they were proposing. Keep in mind, they hadn't built anything at this point, but saying that it was going to be transformative, like the work by Edison or even James Watt. Yeah. So these are the, the, the folks who, you know... <laughs> Who, who brought electricity to the world, really. They were the ones who helped build out that infrastructure. They're like Promethean, pretty much. Yeah, and he's saying, look, we're going to do the same thing without even having done anything yet. Mm-hmm. It was all like, it's very easy to talk about it. It's really hard to do, as as they, he learned. He also said that uh, he kind of implied he had the qualities of 
the bravery of Churchill, the vision of JFK, the determination of Reagan. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're suggesting that hubris may have played a part yeah. in the failure of this company. Um, and it was funny because, you know, he he actually went public with this idea. This is that going back to that. You don't talk about it before you do it. Right. He went public with the idea for a better place before he even quit his previous job. He He was at another job for. Uh, another like three or four months before he quit. And he, and really, you know, he said, he talks about it in the, in, in interviews about how, oh yeah, after I announced this, just a few days later, I quit my job and I started a better place. No. What happened was he talked about it. And then three months later, the job where he was, he had thought he was going to become the next CEO and they went with someone else. And then he quit his job and started better place. Not saying that the things are definitely connected, but, you know, <laughs> in hindsight, it looks like that. So, yeah, he also talked about ordering 100,000 Renault cars between 2011 and 2016, like mm. to have 100,000, a fleet of these cars to sell to the Israeli market. Uh, uh, and eventually he said Israel and Denmark. Oh, and you've uh, got some great numbers here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so 100,000 cars. In Israel would account for more than half of all new cars for the car market. So mm-hmm. in other words, you're looking at fewer than 200,000 new cars in Israel are going to be purchased in any given year. That's mm-hmm. just how big that market is. And he was <laughs> expecting to have more than half of that market made up of the better place cars. Mm-hmm. Now, no, not a single car manufacturer has a share over 15% of that market. Hyundai is the the one that has the biggest. Right. So I, I think it's Hyundai. And I might be wrong about that, but I know that it was 15%. So that means that not only would he be dominating the new car market, but suddenly consumer behavior would completely change. And instead of people being interested in various types of cars, everyone would suddenly be focused on this one car. Keep in mind, there was only one model available, and it was a sedan. So Still. if you didn't want a sedan, then, mm-hmm. you know, you... I don't know why you would end up buying this car. And if you had a larger family, then it, like there's so many situations. You have yep. a larger family or you're you're just a college student buying their first car. And cars can be very difficult to afford. It, it, it may it's kind of tough for uh, it's kind of tough to get in the United States. If you if you've never lived somewhere else, you've never really read about this, but the United States having such a car culture, sure, uh, it it becomes sort of expected that someone will have a car, and there are these rites of passage for it. But that is not in any way the case across the rest of the world. A car is a big investment here. It's a huge investment in other places where you know cost of living and housing and and uh, basic staples of food are, are more expensive to begin Even with. Even just the layout of cities, yeah. because a lot of these cities are so old that mm-hmm. you know they're not laid out for vehicles like for cars yeah you know? very narrow streets yeah just so and so the the question then becomes you know uh what more of a more of a thing like what do i have to do as a car company to convince you right to spend all this money and take on all this burden this inconvenience this ownership and i think there was a miscalculation there yeah, well, considering that they only sold a hundred cars in the first couple of months that they had cars to sell, mm-hmm. and most of those customers were better place employees, mm-hmm. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, and it just uh, just wasn't going to happen. What was that thing you said in the beginning? Uh, 
it was one of those robot arm statements. Oh, the car will be cheaper. so much cheaper. Yeah, because it'd be subsidized because you would have the subscription fee. It turned out that the cost of producing these was so high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Renault was the only company that they were working with, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Agassi said that he was hoping, or at least the, the people around him said that what he was trying to do was entice other car manufacturers to join in as well. And then the company, Better Place, would have a lot more uh, leverage, right? Because mm-hmm. they could pit the different car manufacturers against each other and say, hey, you want to sell this car to us for $38,000, but we can get a car from this other company for you know $18,000. So you're going to have to cut some, some money off of that price yeah. tag. And then they could pass that on to the uh, Better Place customers. But that never happened. Well, and also, to be absolutely fair, that strategy is a viable one. But there's um, there's there's one point that that I think we should make for anybody who who wonders why there are so few car companies in the world, because if you think about it, there there's so many cars, Jonathan. Yeah. And there there's so many uh, there there are so few rather car manufacturers and there are countries that have no domestic car manufacturing because the amount of quote unquote moving parts the difficulty of sure. of all that the starting capital you need in order yes. to to get into that business is is gigantic right yeah like a lot of businesses a lot of small businesses fail uh in the first 5 years yeah and uh with startup car companies it's even more difficult uh and and even more uh attrition in that space so tesla my friend is a diamond in the rough it's, yeah it's um i wouldn't say winning the lottery because i don't think it's entirely luck based no but this is um but it's a very yeah. it's a very interesting contrast to what better place was yeah right and then on top of all that i mean there were times where agassi was actually saying that he he could even see a, them giving away a car. Like you would get the subscription fee and then you would get a car like in a cell phone, like truly subsidized to the point where you're not paying for the car. You're just paying for the service. Uh, and uh, that never that never or that was never a possibility with their the way they were doing business at that point. And that's a um, but that's a that's kind of a more of a pure tech strategy, too, isn't it? Yeah, because don't um, didn't you tell me earlier or maybe I just heard on the show a while back about uh during console wars some of the console makers will oh, yeah. sell at a loss yeah they sell at a loss and they make it up in games now that only works of course if you are in the business of making games and if you have more than one game yeah if you are just <laughs> making one game which is essentially what better place was doing if you have one game and not everyone wants that game and in fact very few people want that game you can't really support selling the console at a loss yeah. so that was a big issue and then uh, you know, there was a lot of um, of friction between Agassi and his executive team. They were starting sure. to get really upset with his move from mm-hmm. Palo Alto to Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up hiring a lot of his girlfriend's friends in positions when they said that that even watered down this uh, already kind of weak executive team. People who weren't really, you know, some of them were really good at what they did. It's just that what they did was not aligned with running an auto company. Right. Yeah. And so. First, he was asked to kind of become a figurehead, and he refused. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he was forced out. He was fired as CEO in October 2012, um, and he was replaced by Evan Thornley, who was the CEO of Better Place Australia, because they had set up headquarters in all the countries they were planning on uh, operating in. Denmark, Australia, Israel. Yep. And, of course, they had the Palo Alto uh, office in the United States. 
So at that time, the company had lost about $490 million. Not just gone through the capital. I mean, they were in the hole. Wow. And then uh, they were losing about a half million dollars per day. So Thornley, he was a businessman and politician back in Australia. He actually had a lot of interesting things to say in that Fast Company uh, article mm-hmm. where he was talking about the how some of the horrible deals that Agassi had gotten into. Agassi had, had given all these companies uh, contracts and then given these they, they had these huge cancellation fees. Agassi hadn't really um, uh, negotiated with mm-hmm. the companies at all. Mm-hmm. So he was essentially saying like, they would say, all right, well, if you cancel out of this, you're going to owe us X million dollars. And he said, sure. Signs on the dotted wow. line. And so there was no way to get out of the contracts. And in fact, the only way they could have maybe kept the company going would be if they were able to expand into other markets, but they had already, that was, that meant that they had to start spending even more money. So mm-hmm. it was just this kind of deep cavern that he found himself in. And, uh, uh he he wasn't given a, a long time to really try and establish anything. Uh, he was put in place in October 2012. Thornley. Thornley, that is. And uh, then in January 2013, he was fired. Wow. So he had only had a couple of months to really try and, and work anything. I don't know that I don't know that anyone could have turned things around so dramatically in that period to make everyone happy yeah that's my question what what could he have possibly done because those kind of agreements are pretty ironclad yeah it's not like he was the one who signed them either so yeah. that was kind of crazy so eventually they were purchased by sunrise they, they declared bankruptcy better mm-hmm. place to declare and liquidated its assets what what little there were mm-hmm. sunrise uh bought the company said that they would keep on 50 of the 80 employees uh and that they would operate 15 charging stations in Israel for at least two years. All the battery swapping stations gone. 15 charging stations would be all that would remain. And ultimately, they had sold about 1,500 vehicles. And so that's kind of the end of the Better Place story. Mm-hmm. And again, this kind of, it's a, it's a really good parallel to that dot com. It's that idea of, here's an incredible opportunity. And the opportunity is real. Mm-hmm. There's a There's a real opportunity to seize. Uh, and there's a real way of actually making it work. The example for dot-com would be Amazon. Amazon came out around the time of the dot-com boom and survived. It survived and then later thrived, but it, it had a real rough, slow start. And it was only through taking a fairly conservative approach, taking risks where there were risks to be had, but not... Mm-hmm. Doing so, not just not just saying, oh, well, we're just going to sell everything to everyone everywhere. That wasn't what Amazon said at first. They they concentrated on books. That's right. what they did. Yep. And it was only after building out that business they started to kind of grow. And they did so in a very, uh, very strategic way. Mm-hmm. Still taking risks again when they could. Better Place was more about let's aim for the, the pie in the sky approach and we're just going to do everything, or at least we're going to say we're going to do everything, and we'll figure out how to do everything later. Yeah, the thing is that you can be an idea person, but you can't not be an engineer of some sort yeah. in, the, in this sort of space. So, like, if we look at Elon Musk, he he sometimes may come off as a big idea person. You remember um, sure. the the last time we were hanging out on Tech Stuff, we talked about the Hyperloop. Yeah, which is amazing. And if it were anyone other than Elon Musk, I would I would say it was just vaporware. Right. But he's led up to this. And, and we've both seen 
in our respective shows, we've both seen this, the evolution in this guy. So even though he might sound like he's some big idea guy who will vanish in some weird Ponzi scheme, everything he's done for years. He's gone to space. (laughs) Or at least his company has sent stuff to space. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. He, he backs up either through his own uh, ingenuity mm-hmm. or by hiring people who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. He has been able to, uh, to make great headway in his, the various industries that he's entered into. So whether Hyperloop ever happens, I mean, that's an interesting idea. I, I would love to see it happen. Whether it ever happens, uh, I don't know. But the fact that he has made such incredible progress in electric vehicles in the United States already, Mm-hmm. And he's done it in this very, like, you know, like we said, it's just as flashy in many ways as sure. Better Place. Yeah. But it was a fundamentally different strategy that actually has worked. Yeah. Um, it's worked slowly. It's a very, it's a very gradual progression, but it, it's actually working. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that continues. And, uh, to me, I think the, the thing to take away from this is that the, again, the purpose of Better Place was, in many ways, noble, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of getting off of fossil fuels to move to a renewable energy source, keeping in mind that depending upon how you generate the electricity, uh, that, yeah. they had said that they wanted to make sure that all of their charging stations were generating electricity in renewable ways. Okay. So either through solar power, Hydro, hydropower, yeah. you know, wind power, whatever. Um, you know, as long as you're doing that kind of thing and you're being responsible with the way you generate electricity... That's wonderful. We want to see that happen. And in fact, I don't think anyone wanted, well, maybe some car companies wanted to see Better Place fail, but I don't think anyone really wanted Better Place to fail. It was just that Mm-mm. there was, they set themselves up for failure. They didn't set themselves yeah. up for success. Right. It's very, I, I'm really glad you said that because it's very important to note that in this context, there were no con men. There were no charlatans. There were people who were honestly trying to get a good idea from the realm of imagination mm-hmm. into the real world, as yes. you said. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, it looks like what we've learned through our our uh, case study of some of this stuff is that it, it was ultimately it was mismanagement, more than a little bit of ego. Yep. And a um, a lack of patience. Yeah, I think so. I think they were too aggressive too early and too unrealistic. Um, I think, uh, you know, maybe we can see sunrise if whether or not after the two years are up. Mm-hmm. If they continue to support those charging stations, uh, if we continue to see an effort to move over to electric vehicles in Israel in particular, because that was the main base of operations, uh, it'll be interesting to see if that continues or, or if it'll take something like Tesla ultimately making this this approach work really well. And of course, you know, other companies, other established car companies are also producing electric vehicles. Sure, absolutely. Uh, they tend to be very, like a, a small slice of the overall pie chart that is what they offer. Absolutely. But it's, it's something that we will continue to see in the future. So Ben, I have to thank you for coming onto the show and participating in this and talking about this, uh, this incredible company and the, the, I mean, it's interesting to really look at the drama behind it. And again, there's so many lessons to learn, not just in the auto industry, but in the tech industry in general. We've seen this lesson repeated multiple times that uh, it was fun to actually dive into this. I had no knowledge of better place before we started looking into this this um, this episode. So for me, it was really uh, educational. Oh, and uh, thank you for the uh, email there, Russell. And thank 
Thank you, as always, Jonathan, for having me on. If you don't mind, I'd like to uh, plug a couple things real quick. Absolutely. Okay, first thing I want to plug is uh, Brain Stuff, which is our everyday science show. Uh, We've got a video series on YouTube where, uh, listeners, you can see Jonathan and myself and several other of our fantastic co-hosts. Including Lauren. She's including also Lauren. Yep. I can't believe I forgot to say yes. Including including Lauren. And you can see Lauren and Jonathan co-host some stuff on there uh, where they answer questions about everything from uh, hair to lightsabers and twins. Uh, yeah, we've, we've got yeah. some. I talk about whether or not a sound is so loud it can kill you. <laughs> Lauren, Lauren and Joe McCormick have a great video about laugh tracks. Which goes into my next plug, Jonathan, and that is for forward thinking. <laughs> You're plugging stuff that I'm on. <laughs> yeah, I'm plugging I don't know if the I don't know if the Tech Stuff listeners uh know about this. I assume that you do, but if this is your first time checking out this show and you enjoyed it, you can also uh find more future oriented topics. In, sure. And not just in tech, but the big questions of the future. And then of course I have to plug car stuff. That you are on with Scott oh, yeah, Benjamin, yeah, which a, if you are really in, if you're a, if you're into cars or even if you're just interested in it, but you've always been intimidated, that's a great podcast to listen to because Ben, you are really good at, uh, at, at talking to Scott who has an incredible expertise. Oh yeah. In, in all you things know. automotive. And you really are, are great at having this conversation with him where you can really get to the bottom of, Everything from how specific parts of a car work to trends in vehicles to all sorts of stuff. It's a great podcast. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you so much. We've got to stop our love fest here, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we will, except for uh, stuff they don't want you to know, which I can't talk about. But you should check it out. But, I, uh, you know, they, they don't want me to, to say any more. They'll redact that. Yeah. Redacted. All right. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you have any suggestions like Russell, you can write to us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. Our handle at all three is TechStuffHSW, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 